Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. The Bible is our authority and every message delivered proclaims the truth in a way that is relevant and practical for daily life. At Vail Christian, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. So, we took a long time to get through the Gospel of John up through chapter 4. Now we're into chapter 5. Can you believe it? A couple years from now, we'll be all the way through. Okay? I really love it. I love the Gospel of John because John is featuring Jesus in all of his glory. He wants us to see Jesus. He wants us to see the most important things about Jesus and this message. You know, uh, I was talking with our staff this week um, a little bit, and we, um, I made him watch the video, and I, I think I read too many books sometimes, but this is, uh, is kind of what uh, I've been thinking lately. I've been thinking that um, we communicate, we've done this for a long time as churches, not just this church, but across the, um, the country, across the world. We, um, we've been teaching people, um, sometimes directly or inadvertently sometimes, and I think the, the, the next generation, we've been doing this for a long time, that the foundation of what we believe as Christ followers is the Bible. And that's not true. The Bible is really important. The Bible contains the scriptures. The Bible contains truth. The Bible contains a story, all right? But the foundation of what we believe is actually the resurrection of Christ. The foundation of what we believe, everything rises and falls, so to speak, on the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, I would say, um, I could quote Andy Stanley in saying this, that if... Um, if someone can predict their death and their resurrection and pull it off, I think that you should trust that person, all right? I think you should believe in that person, right? Um, and so the foundation of what we believe is the resurrection. The Bible is what was given to us by the church, and the event produced the church or the resurrection. So it's about the resurrection, and uh, I want to be careful because this story actually leads to that way more than you might think. All of John's um, efforts and the way he's brilliantly laid out um, this gospel contains a story that all points towards Jesus and his resurrection. All the gospels do that. All of um, Paul's letters to specific churches, they do that um, the book of James does that. Can you imagine um, Jesus' brother and how hard um, would it be for your brother to convince you that you're Messiah, all right? I think that um, we have created a fragile faith sometimes because um, we can argue Bible until um, we're blue in the face, but it is the event, the resurrection, that we need to be defending and preaching and teaching, so I want you to keep that in mind because today, actually what John is featuring, what Jesus is showing us in this scene that John is featuring is that um, the sin in this world that we are all suffering from, um, the fall sin, it has um, ravaged this world, right? 
and produced in us brokenness. And we all have a lot of brokenness, whether it is physical or mental or just um, there's brokenness in our marriages, there's brokenness in our, our relationships and our children. There's all kinds of uh, things that sin has ravaged across um, our um, humanity, right? And so we're suffering from that. And this is a scene that features some rich um, lessons, I think, that Jesus wants us to make sure we know and understand. And John is brilliant in revealing them and pointing them out. So I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, okay? Now, before we read the story, as you're turning in that in, in your Bible, because you've got to see it for yourself, let me actually then reveal to you really um, as best I can first what this has to do with you and I, all right? I think that, um, number one, the main issue in our culture, the main issue in this age that we live in right now, until Jesus comes back, or you could describe that as his second coming, the main issue is that we meet him, we meet Jesus in our brokenness and receive the power of his forgiveness to heal our souls so that we can live um, the right way, the correct way in righteousness. That's the main issue. Now, Jesus is going to heal somebody physically. And the implications of that is that's not the main issue. Not that he doesn't want to heal our physical um, issues, but he wants to get to healing your soul. Okay, and the second one is the first coming of the Son of God. That's, that's uh, throughout the New Testament or the scriptures, right? All the stories there all feature the first coming of the Son of God into the world. And in that first coming, we get a taste of the healing power. We get to see Jesus revealing himself and healing people. We get just a taste just a taste of that healing power, the complete healing power of all of his, his people and all their diseases and all of our sicknesses, it's going to come at the second coming of Christ. And we're waiting for that, right? We're only in the middle of the story right now. Okay. And then the third thing that has to do with you and I, the focus of this taste, remember, we're just getting a taste of this healing power. Um, the focus of this taste that we get now is to call us. It is literally to drive us to faith in Christ and right living. That's the reason why we get just a taste. God is trying to drive us to something. He's after something. He wants us to have faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? Not faith in just the Bible. He doesn't want us just to believe that the Bible is true. That's, that's all real and that's all good, but it's actually about Jesus, okay? And then number four, Jesus wants to heal our souls. And I've sort of said that already, right? We can't earn it. That's the key. You can't earn this healing. It's free. We're not good enough for it. It's a gift. He chooses us freely. And we're going to see how he does that. And he wants us to live in the power of this healing, and there's a lot of power available to us. It's unlimited, and we rarely tap into it. But there's purpose here. And it all does lead towards the resurrection and how important that is in our lives. Okay, so let's read just the first 18 verses in chapter 5. Are you ready? 
after this, and so this is after he's in Galilee. Remember, we spent all that time in chapter 4, and then he went to Galilee. He's in Samaria, and then he went to Galilee, healed that little boy, right? So after this, there was a Jewish feast, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So now he's down in Jerusalem. He's making his way around, right? He is moving. And by the way, he does a lot of walking, which I think is really great. And there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool called Bethzetha or Bethesda, all right? In Aramaic, it says, which has five covered walkways. So there's five colonnades, all right? And there's walkways, and they're probably shaded because it says they're covered, right? A great number of sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed people were lying in these walkways. Now, a man was there who's been disabled for 38 years. That was a long time. When Jesus saw him lying there, and when he realized that the man had been disabled a long time um, already, he said to him, do you want to become well? The sick man answered, um, answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm trying to get into the water, someone else goes down there before me, you know, gets right in front of me. And Jesus says, stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. Immediately, that's a key word. That word immediately is really key. I'd underline that. Immediately, the man was healed. And he picked up his mat and he started walking. And then here comes John's commentary in the parentheses, right? Now, that day was a Sabbath. Oh, man. We know. We already know. Oh, this is going to be an issue. Look at verse 10. So the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. And you're not permitted to carry your mat. And we're the carrying the mat police. Actually, that's only in my notes, sorry. Verse 11. But he answers them. The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And then they ask him, well, we're the mat police. Who is the man who said to you, pick up your mat and walk? Oh, man, that's another one of my notes, sorry. Verse 13. But the man who had been healed didn't know who it was. For Jesus had slipped out since there was a crowd in that place. So Jesus sneaks out. That's awesome. Verse 14. After this, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, Look, you've become well. Don't sin anymore, lest anything worse happen to you. And the man went away and informed the Jewish leaders that Jesus was the one who had made him well. I don't know how I feel about that last verse. Kind of like went and told on him. Doesn't it seem like that? Uh, so I don't know about this guy a little bit, but I know there's a lot of things in here. All right, this is rich. It's rich. So if we cover the setting first, just if we just look at the setting just for a minute, and what is exactly going on here, Right? Man, there's some things I want you to, to see in just the first five verses, okay? We'll get to verse four. That's coming, all right? We're going to get there. Here's the first one. This is a whole lot of people that are sick, unwell people, a crowd of unwell people, all right? Jesus is in Jerusalem again, and he makes it a point to go to this pool where people with diseases and disabilities and all kinds of stuff 
are waiting there because there's a legend. There's a story that has, uh, that, that says that healings can happen in this pool. And so Jesus walks right in amongst this crowd of people. Now, the second thing that we notice is that there's no verse four. And sometimes people get all uptight about this. In most modern translations of the scriptures, there's no verse four, all right? It's an empty verse. It doesn't, it's, it's not there. It's only there in the old um, authorized King James Version. Now, why is it missing? The answer is, is it's not there in the oldest and the best manuscripts, actually. There are thousands of Greek manuscripts or fragment of Greek manuscripts. And the way that we arrive at our amazingly reliable Greek and Hebrew and English versions is that these texts, these scriptures are compared with each other in painstakingly and in complex ways so that when some manuscripts have different wording, we can tell almost all the time which ones are original. All right, so in a nutshell, in a few places where we can't, there's no significant historical or doctrinal issue at stake. Here, it seems, um, somewhere along the way, a copyist drew a marginal note of explanation into the actual text, just like I sort of did when I said, I wrote a little note in the text in my Bible, the map police, all right? Um, it's just something um, similar to that, although it wasn't as funny as mine, okay? <laughs> now, look at verse seven. Verse seven begs for an explanation. What is going on here? Verse seven, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool where the water is stirred up. What is going on here, right? What is going on with that? Well, I'm trying to get into the water. Someone else goes down there before me. I mean, it's, it's just like, what? I, I don't understand. I don't get this. I want to find out what is going on with this pool. It's stirring up water. And, you know, like, why are all these people hanging out here? It seems like only a few people are healed. Maybe only one person gets healed when the water gets stirred up. And if you're too slow, you miss out. I mean, that's what just first pass, you're just going, okay. The name of the pool is Bethesda. Now, if you dig around in this word, nobody can agree actually about the word. It's like the name of a pool and a place and an entrance to a gate where maybe you drag some sh or push some sheep through. And then there's this pool. It's at the North Gate in Jerusalem and, you know, this whole thing. And then there's colonnades and there's shade and everything and, and all this kind of stuff right here. All right. So. The name of the pool, Bethesda, we'll just call it Bethesda in Aramaic. What it does mean is house of mercy, this place of mercy, right? So John tells us that a lot of disabled people used to lay there, lie around there. The covered colonnades, they're going to provide shade for the disabled who, who gathered there. But there's another reason for the popularity of the pool, all right? So, like I said, legend has it that an angel would come down into the pool, stir up the water, the first person into the pool, 
after the water started stirring, was made well from whatever disease that they're afflicted with. So the Bible doesn't teach that this actually happens. Part of the reason why John 4, 5, 4 is not there. In most modern translations, because it's unlikely to be the original text, rather, the superstitious belief probably came about because of the pool's association with the nearby temple. Okay? And then a lot of desperation and people are like, well, I really want this to happen. That helps make sense of verse 7 and why all these people are there. Where the man says, I can't get down in the pool in time. Obviously, the man believed the urban legend about the stirring up of the water. He blamed the fact that he, he was never healed because he just couldn't get down there in time. People couldn't carry him down there. Somebody snaked in there right before him every time. So he's been there 38 years. Man. So Jesus sweeps aside all this superstition he bypasses all this stuff, this need for magic water with one command, okay? Now, how the pool worked, forget that. It's, it's not important, actually. It's not essential to the story, how it works, or if it worked, or anything like that. Actually, the fact that Jesus worked, is, is, that's what's essential to the story. Let's not get our eyes off of Jesus because that's what's a big deal. Now, there's another observation that you need to make here and that these verses... Um, reveal that there's a lot of people under these five colonnades and walkways. A lot. You can imagine. There's a lot of people in our culture with these kinds of things happening. All right? Look at verse 3. A great number of sick, blind, lame, paralyzed people were lying into these, in, in these walkways. So, that's going to be important when we get down to verse 13. Jesus had slipped out since there was a crowd in that place, a whole lot of people. Jesus didn't even stay around for the man to find out who it was who healed him. I don't know if you picked up on that. Why not? We're going to come back to it in just a minute. It had something to do with this crowd. Now, look at verses 6 through 9 because there's a focus here on the, really, the revelation of Jesus and what kind of person he is. Verses six through nine, when Jesus saw him lying there, right? And when he realized that the man had been disabled a long time already, he said to him, do you want to become well? A sick man answered him, sir, I have, have nobody put me in the pool and the water is stirred up. And we know the rest of it, right? And then John wings that little thing and at the end, now... <laughs> That day was a Sabbath. So John's showing us something about Jesus' knowledge and his compassion and his power. Let's look at his knowledge first. What do you mean? Look at verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and when he realized that the man had been disabled a long time already. See, Jesus knows this guy's situation without having to be told. He knows. 38 years had been, he'd been paralyzed probably unable to walk, and it seems like all of that time he's brought here to the pool to wait. He's been at this place that long, hoping for some kind of miracle, and Jesus knows his situation. 
See, when you know Jesus, when you understand Jesus, this is the kind of person you actually get to know. A person who knows you perfectly, knows everything about you inside and out, and all you've ever felt, all you've ever thought and ever done. Have you ever felt like nobody understands Nobody gets me. Nobody is experiencing my stuff. Nobody can see it. Everybody doesn't, you know, have you ever felt like that? I mean, there's times when I'm like, yep, that's exactly the way I feel. Compared to everybody else, do you know how many lead pastors there are in Tucson? Not very many, right? And I don't really have time to spend a lot of time with those guys. And they don't with me. So it's easy for me to feel like, man, there's just nobody who's experiencing the things that I have. Or the things that are going on in my marriage. The things that are going on with my family or my children or my body, right? My diseases, my stuff, my junk, my things. Jesus knows all of it. His knowledge is complete. It's fully complete. He knows everything. I think that's a really important thing to remember. Here's also Jesus' compassion, and it's as big as it gets. I, th- I think this is the other thing that makes his knowledge so valuable. He chooses to go to this pool. He didn't have to go to this pool. It, it, it didn't, this whole thing didn't just sneak up on him. He's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know there was this pool here. I'm gonna, no, I need to pay this place a visit. He, just, he didn't stumble by it. I think that's very significant. He knew what he was doing. He's going to this pool the same way he went to Samaria to find that woman at the well. The same way he went to Galilee and found that, you know, the, the, the royal um, official. He's <laughs> trying to come up with a word. Right? And his little boy was dying. Jesus moved toward the need, not comfort. He moved towards people, sinful people, not self-righteous people. Now watch, because when he asks the sick guy in verse 6, do you want to become well? What the man said was not, yes, I, I totally want to get well. Instead, he explains his tragic situation. Do you see that? Watch this. Verse 8, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. But So it looks like this healing is not a response to anything necessarily faithful about this guy. I think that's significant. Check that out. It looks like Jesus healed him simply because his situation was so miserable for so long. I don't think that's accidental. In other words, it looks like it came from Jesus' compassion not the man's faith or righteousness. And if you don't believe me, all you got to do is just do a little word search on and just type in the words, you know, in any of your software, looking around through the New Testament and say, Jesus moved to compassion or Jesus felt compassion. And all these Bible verses, I mean, I, I know I got all the software, but all these Bible verses pop up with all these scenarios where it says Jesus is moved with compassion or he felt compassion on people, on crowds. I found it easily a dozen, and I didn't even have to, I didn't work very hard at it. A dozen times I found that. 
I think if you look, you're going to see this. Jesus is often moved. He feels compassion for people. So not only does Jesus know you perfectly, but he easily feels the misery that you feel. That's the point. He understands and he feels it. He's compassionate towards those things. His solutions are not always what we want. But that's not because he's heartless, all right? He has compassion for us in our misery. He does. Now, let's keep going because Jesus' power, it's immediate. Remember I said that, that word immediate is a big deal? So his knowledge is full and complete and his compassion towards us is as big as it gets. And now look at his power, instant, instant his power. Verse eight and nine, Jesus says to him, stand up, your, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the man was healed. He picks up his mat and he starts walking, right? The words immediately signify instant power when he speaks, when Jesus speaks, disease, muscles, bones, and anything else, pay attention and they listen. And this is John's, I think, excitement with the sovereign power of Jesus, the same way he was excited in back in chapter four when the official son was healed, right? Exactly at a specific time, right? So John wants us to see all of this, uh, all of this knowledge and compassion and power, right? This is how you get to know Jesus and how he reveals himself. This is how you build a relationship with Jesus. You meet him here in his word, and this is how you explain Jesus to others around us. And this is how you speak to him. You tell Jesus what you think and what you feel. You ask him to shape your thinking and your feelings regarding these things, right? So, so, so then you walk out of this room or um, um, this, this morning you go across that bridge and you have an encounter in your day and in your week with Jesus, you fellowship with Jesus because he knows everything about you. He's compassionate and he's powerful in your life. This is how you develop a relationship with Christ. Not an imaginary one, not a self-made one, but a real, the living Jesus revealed with absolute authority in the words of his um, apostle John. This is what he wants you to know and understand. Jesus in all of his glory. Look at verse 9. We got to get to this. Now that day was a Sabbath. We're all thinking about how extraordinary Jesus is. And then, and, and, and probably this healed guy is really happy. And then John says, now that day was a Sabbath. The question this raises is, is that what the story is really going to be about now? You know, we've got the map police and then the Sabbath police, right? Is this going to turn into a conflict over what you're allowed to do on the Sabbath. is John shifting from this, all this cool stuff about Jesus to the ground rules about the Sabbath? No, that's not what he's doing. The Sabbath issue is raised, but it's raised in a way that amazingly keeps the focus on Jesus and the greatness of Jesus. Watch what he does. Jesus knows what he's done. He knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He heals this guy on the Sabbath. He tells him to carry his mat, pick it up as a sign of celebration that he's whole, that he's been healed. He knows it's going to create conflict. This is what I think. Conflict is where 
Jesus' identity is shaped. In the conflict, this is where Jesus shines. So here it comes. Look at verse 10. So the Jewish leaders say to the, guy, to the man who'd been healed, it is, it's the Sabbath. You know, you're not permitted to carry your mat. But he, but he answers them, well, the, the man who made me well said for me to pick up my mat and walk. Well, who is this guy, right? Said to do this. Now, there's some crazy stuff here I want you to know. Jesus healed this guy and disappears. That's what he did. He just disappears before the guy could find out who he was. He didn't even know who healed him. Does this mean Jesus had no intention of dealing with this man's soul? Was he content just to do a random miracle and leave this guy in ignorance as to where it came from? No, that's not it, right? We know this because of verse 14. It was Jesus who found the man, not the man who found Jesus. Look at verse 14, right? After, the, after Jesus found him in the temple, he said to him, look, you've become well. Don't sin anymore, lest anything worse would happen to you. So Jesus had no intention of walking away from this guy and leaving him with just a healed body. He healed him for a purpose, and I think it's healed for right living Watch, watch two things at the end of verse 13. The reason Jesus walks away from, the, from this guy was that there's a crowd there. Think of it. There's a crowd there. Jesus had withdrawn. There's a crowd in the place. The place is filled with all kinds of sick people. People are going to be there a long time. They're going to pay attention to what just happened. No doubt, all the people that cared for those people are probably around. If he'd stay there after healing one guy, there would have been tons of miracle-seeking people clamoring, and then he would have been like kind of stuck and trapped in the miracle thing right there. That's not the main thing Jesus is after. Look at how this is confirmed in verse 14. He seeks out this guy in the temple and he tells him the real issue in his healing. What's the real issue? After Jesus found him at the temple, he says, look, you become well. Don't sin anymore. Lest anything worse happen to you. What does he mean there? What's the issue? Well, the issue is righteousness, not health. Right living, being rightly connected to the Lord, right? Being made right by the Lord, not actual health. We always want to make health the issue because it's, pain because it's so right in the middle of where we are. Look, you've become well. Don't sin anymore. I, I, I want you to see this because don't sin. I'm healing your body because I want your soul healed. That's way more important. Do you get that? I've given you this gift. It's free. It came first before my command. You didn't earn it. You weren't good enough for it. I chose you freely and I healed you. Now live in that power, would you? Let the gift of healing, the gift of my free grace, drive the way you live. Because that's really important to me. And yes, he warns him that if he turns away, that if he mocks the gift, in other words, if he makes it an idol, if he makes an idol out of himself, hey, look what happened to me. Look what Jesus did for me. Look how special I am, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? And embraces sin as his way of life. He's gonna, he says, you're going to die, man. You're going to die. That's, that is final judgment. 
that'll be, the, that'll be worse than being at the pool 38 years with this disability. That'll be worse. See? Because you want, uh, there, there aren't many natural worse things than the 38 years, you know, that you've had to endure. And because in, go down to verse 28 and 29. Just go down. I, I, I can't stand it because this is where it's going. I mean, we're going to get there. But look at this. This is why I was talking about resurrection. Watch this. <laughs> this is next time. Do not be amazed at this because the time is coming when all who are in the tombs, you know, did, are going to hear his voice and they're going to come out. When is that? That's going to be that second coming, right? The ones who have done what is good to the resurrection resulting in life and the ones who have done what is evil to the resurrection resulting in condemnation. So in other words, I've healed you so that you will not rise at that time to judgment but to the resurrection of life. I've revealed to you myself as a life giver. I heal in so many other ways than one. Don't turn from me to a life of sin because this is about the resurrection and my second coming. This is, that's what this is about. I healed you now and I've given you purpose. But let me get to what's most important. What's most important. You see, I've transformed you and I've changed you. For a reason. So can we talk about this resurrection for a minute? And just the taste that we get, the taste of the resurrection, the implications of this are huge for diseases, disabilities that we deal with all, th- you know, what is your stuff? What is my stuff? Jesus walks into a huge group of sick people, diseased people, um, according to verse three, and he just heals one guy, just one. And, and then he disappears before that guy can even know who he is. He leaves hundreds of people behind unhealed. What is, in the world is he doing here? And then he finds the man in a, in a, in a less conspicuous place, and he puts all the focus of, on life without sin. All right? The point is this. In the first coming of the Son of God into the world, remember I said this, we get a taste of his healing power. We're just reading it through the story. The full healing of all of his people uh, and, and all of the diseases and sicknesses are going to come at the second coming of Christ. This is huge. And the focus of this taste, which we receive now just a little bit, is to call us to faith in Jesus to be transformed and changed and to live the way he's designed us to live and to overcome um, this sin in our life. Most people who suffer from these kinds of things in this life, they're going to have to live with these things to the day that they die. That is true. And all of us, until Jesus comes again, we're going to die of something. You see, we're all going to die of something. Sometimes some people are going to be healed. There's no doubt. I believe in miracles. We believe in miracles. We should believe in miracles. But even though Jesus had all the power to heal, he didn't bring the final day of perfect holiness, did he? That's coming. 
His work at the time points to that day. But until then, healing is the exception, not the rule. And that's not because we're weak in our faith. You know, I mean, there's no doubt that we could be more faithful and maybe we might see more miracles if we expected more and believed more. But Jesus left hundreds of people unhealed at the pool. And he told one guy he did heal who didn't even really believe to wake up. (laughs) Wake up, pay attention. I'm after your soul. That's what he said. I'm after your soul. I'm after what's most important. The main issue in this age that we live in until Jesus comes back is that we meet him in our brokenness. You know, our disease, our messed up relationships. And we receive the power of his forgiveness to pursue life the way he's designed it, actually. And in this calling to faith, the broken, you know, the broken, that's all of us. Most of the time, I think they run faster, farther than people who Legs and arms and everything are actually really healthy. Have you ever noticed that? How, how the story of somebody like that can motivate and inspire and challenge and change and, and move us, including the mentally broken. They may be running farther and doing so much better than we think. Jesus knows. Jesus knows everything, and he has moved to compassion about all these things. We're not done with this story. This is just the beginning. I already showed you how I can turn it into like six weeks. There's so much there, right? What we're going to see is that Jesus works on the Sabbath in the future and he takes no days off. We get to see that. That's so great, right? And the reason is so that we might be whole and we might have rest. That's why he's going to do that. But for now, what what? What God wants to do, I think, here, what, is, what, what does he want to do in you and I? Right here, he wants to open your eyes to know Jesus personally as the one who knows you, as the one who has moved to compassion for you. He's sovereign over your body and your soul and the one who has come with this saving, healing power, first for the sake of living the way you are created to live, right living, righteousness, and then finally for the sake of your soul and really what's at stake, your eternal health. That's what he's after, your eternal health. It's about Jesus, isn't it? Oh, this is such a rich story. Lord God, thank you for just a few minutes that we could spend digging through this. There's so much here. Oh, as I, as I look at all this, Lord, I am so grateful for Jesus's knowledge of everything. But it becomes so much more valuable to me because I know he's compassionate. He's moved by all the, the stuff that hurts and that's difficult in life. 
Lord, help me to believe in the immediate power of your son, Jesus, and that he is after my soul. If your head is bowed before God today and you're praying and listening along with me, is he knocking on your heart in a way that there is no doubt you know he wants your soul. Don't stiff arm God. He's after, he wants to save your soul. Don't let your stuff get in the way, your pain and your difficulty, your disease, your brokenness. Don't let that keep you from giving your life to Jesus when he says, do you want to be made well? Because that's what he's asking. Do you want to be made well? You can talk about all your stuff and all your things. I'm praying you would have a different answer than the guy. I'm praying you would say, yes. I want to be made well from the inside out. I want eternal health. If that's you today, don't stiff arm God. That's what he's after. Surrender your life to Jesus. He knows everything. He's compassionate. And he can change you immediately. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to view the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com and follow us on social media.